two weeks ago, so that was last week, two weeks ago we ended the message by seeing a really beautiful exchange in Galatians chapter 2. The Apostle Paul was affirmed in his ministry to the Gentiles. How many remember, remember what we talked about in Galatians chapter 2? Paul confronts them because of the issue of circumcision. Paul confronts them, they have some words, and he is affirmed in his, in his ministry to the Gentiles. So, if you'll remember, Paul, or as he is sometimes called Saul, had a dramatic conversion experience. He met the Lord on the road to Damascus. Amen? Knocked off his horse, he met the Lord. It was, it was an incredible conversion experience. He spent then three years in solitude. He didn't, he didn't become a Christian and then all of a sudden become a Christian superstar. He didn't become a Christian and then all of a sudden he was in the spotlight. No, he spent three years in solitude and it was another 14 years. So that means 17 years before we see him speaking truth to the early church about false teachers who still required new believers to follow the law of Moses and specifically in requiring circumcision. Now, we get past that to this moment where Paul is encouraged to help the poor believers in Jerusalem. And he, he says, man, that's something I was already eager to do. Because they say this really beautiful moment in verse 10 where he's like, hey, remember to take care of the poor. And Paul says, I'm so glad they said that. That's something I was already eager to do. It was a moment of unity. It was a moment of understanding. And soon, this beautiful moment is replaced by conflict. And we see the conflict begin in Galatians chapter 2, and verse 11. We're going to go to Galatians chapter 2, verse 11. It says this, but when Cephas, now Cephas, again, is the name for Peter. It means rock, and that's what Peter was called, the rock. So another name for Peter, right? So he came to Antioch. I opposed him to his face. This is Paul saying this. I opposed Peter to his face because he stood condemned. Say condemned. For before certain men came from James. Say certain men. Certain men, these were Jewish leaders. Jewish leaders that had been, uh, they, had, they had become Christian. They have converted. They are, co- they are called certain men. They came from James. He was eating with the Gentiles. Peter's eating with the Gentiles. And when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. Can I just say that is not a party I want to be invited to? Amen? Uh, it's a surprise party. Um, <laughs> also, honestly, from a marketing standpoint, uh, you might want to emphasize a different aspect of Judaism. Just a tip for those out there. It's weird stuff, right? It's awkward. My wife right now is looking going, you shouldn't have made that joke. That's not, that didn't go over well. That's all right. Hey, listen, here's the thing. The, the confrontation here between Peter and Paul. There's a confrontation, and here's why. There's a conflict. Why is there a conflict? Because the church consists of more than one person. How many know when there's more than one person, there's a conflict? Can be, right? Sometimes if there's just one person and there's a conflict in that one person, they need to go to the doctor. Right? Whenever there is one person involved, you're going to have conflict. You're going to have a difference of opinion. Work, school, family, church, wherever the conflict, it, there's, it usually involves people, right, Mark? I mean, you're not arguing with the chair, right? Mark doesn't argue with anybody. Mark doesn't argue. Carrie, Carrie, do you ever argue with Mark? 
No. no. Yes? Yes? No. Mark's saying no. She's saying yes. I don't know what to believe. And listen, I'm not downplaying the seriousness of this conflict. We will get into it. But I thought it would be fun to look at some of the other conflicts that have happened in church. How many know that sometimes in church, conflict happens? Right? How many have ever been part of church for a while? Conflict happens, right? So there's a guy named Tom Rainier. He does a lot of surveys for ministry, and he asks a number of churches about conflict. And here are some of the things that have caused conflict in the churches, along with, and I'm going to say this clearly, he throws in a few one-liners that are his and not mine. I don't want to be blamed for lame humor or bad jokes, but they're his, not mine. So, uh, argument over, this is real. These, these are real conflicts that have happened within churches. Argument over the appropriate length of the worship leader's beard. Jenny, <laughs> I hope that's not an argument we have to have, ever. Uh, fight over whether or not to build a children's playground or use the land for a cemetery. He says, I'm dying to know the resolution on this one. A deacon accused another deacon of sending an anonymous letter and decided to settle the, settle the matter in the parking lot after the service. Hmm. A dispute in the church because the Lord's Supper had cran grape juice instead of grape juice. Where's Carol? No cran grape, Carol. Business meeting arguments about whether or not the church should purchase a weed eater. It took two business meetings to resolve. This fight, this fight was really wacky. <laughs> That's what he said. Two different churches. There, here we go. Two different churches reported fights over a type of coffee. In the church, in one of the churches, they moved from Folgers to a stronger Starbucks brand. In the other church, they simply just moved to a different, a stronger blend. Members of the church in the second church left. They really, they really love their coffee, I guess. An argument, I love this one, an argument whether the church should allow deviled eggs at the church meal. There was a, there was a comment about uh, balancing out with the angel food cake. But, you know. A disagreement over using the term potluck instead of pot blessing. These are real conflicts within the church. I love this. This is fantastic. Some church members left the church because one church member hid the vacuum cleaner from them. It resulted in a major fight and a split. It, this is so sad, right? A dispute over whether the church should allow people to wear black t-shirts since black is the color of the devil. This is the last one. An argument over whether to have gluten-free communion bread or not. I thought gluttony was a sin. Man, <laughs> that is rough. Uh, man, the point here is this: no matter how absurd these examples are, and how many know those are some absurd examples, right? When you are in a church, at times you're going to have conflict. How many know that when you're in church, at times you're going to have? I'm going to do something that you don't agree with. Maybe weekly. Somebody else is going to do something you don't agree with. There's going to be conflict. How we deal with that conflict and how we move forward shows the character and the maturity of the people involved, right? In Galatians chapter 2, Paul is confronting, confronting Peter. Not because it's a small matter, but because it's a large matter. You said, Pastor David, why is this a large matter? So I'm going to need a volunteer. Alex, he just raised his hand. 
This is good. This is good volunteering. Alice, come forward. Come on. Oh, let's see. Almost putting their heads down. Braxton, come on up. No, you're not going to regret this. He just asked, is he going to regret this? The answer is no. So here's what would be happening. All right, Braxton, you are Paul. All right? Good looking Paul here. You got Peter. Good looking Peter, right? Peter, let's say this side of the church is all the Gentile people. And this side of the church is all the Jewish people. Now, if you're saying, well, would they really have it in that way? The answer is yes. The answer is if the Jewish people were together, they were eating together. And the Gentiles would be off in a table in the back. Just the Gentiles all together. They're doing their thing. Jews are doing their thing. That's how it goes, right? So, Peter, come on over. You're going to come and you're going to sit right here and you're going to have some dinner with the Gentiles, right? And you're laughing it up. You're yucking it up. You're having a good time. Okay? Then all of a sudden, oh, let's see. Mark. He's like, don't even think about calling on me. Robert. Robert is a member of the Jewish party. Okay? He's a member of, of what we call the circumcision party, right? Hey. <laughs> here we go. All right. So here we go. So Alex is, have, is talking with the Gentiles. He's having fun. He's like just conversing and eating with them and probably eating what they were eating. That's important to know because the Gentiles weren't under the law. They could eat the pork and the lobster and the shrimp, right? So you think about those things and you go, oh, wait a minute. So Alex is, is, Peter is having a good time with them. He's eating with them. He's talking with them. And all of a sudden, a member of the Jewish party starts walking towards them. Uh-oh. Peter, seeing a member of the Jewish party, gets up, gets up and runs over and joins the Jewish party. Why? Because he doesn't want to be associated with the Gentiles. Paul sees this. Paul sees this. Uh, come forward here, Alex. You've got to be in camera. Paul sees this, and he confronts Peter. Knock it off, he said. Knock it off. You guys can have a seat. Thank you. Give him a hand. Thank you. Good job. Certain men of the Jewish party come from James. They were Christians, but they were also Jewish, culturally Jewish. How many know that just because you come to Jesus doesn't mean that automatically everything in your life starts lining up right away? Right? You come to Jesus and, listen, we are saved, going to heaven, hallelujah. But there's a lot of things in our life that still needs to be worked out, right? That's kind of how it goes sometimes. You have learning to do you have action to take and as you do maturity comes into play characters developed it's awesome these certain men are under the belief that the gentiles were not true christians because even though they accepted christ they didn't follow the law they weren't circumcised and here peter's eating with them peter's just having a good time now it's important to note that Peter was well aware that Christians were not subject to the law. At this point, you have to understand that we're going to jump out of the Galatians and look at Acts chapter 10. In Acts chapter 10, Peter is shown a vision from God. We don't have to go there if you don't want to, but, but I'm going to go through it here and then end it with the verse. 
Acts chapter 10, Peter is shown a vision from God, okay? And in this vision, a sheet comes down with an animal on it that would be considered unclean under the law. So, here's the voice of God. Peter hears the voice of God telling him to kill and eat the animal. And Peter says, no, Lord. Can you imagine? Peter says, no, Lord. I will not kill and eat this unclean thing. Never have I eaten an unclean thing. He's referring to Jewish law. He's referring to the law of Moses. Never would I eat this unclean thing. And the Lord says to him, kill and eat. What God has made clean, do not call unclean. Kill and eat. You think that would settle the matter. But how many remember, Peter's kind of a hardhead. Right? Alex is shaking his head. Peter's kind of a hardhead. So then, the Lord doesn't just, it doesn't just happen one time, but three times. But Lord, I would never eat this unclean thing. Do not call what I have called clean, unclean. Kill and eat. But Lord, I would not eat this unclean thing. Do not call what I have called clean, unclean. Kill and eat. You think, you know, sometimes, how do you know, sometimes people need to hear something more than once. Anybody have kids? They just need it. Yeah, Rudy's like, yup. Need to hear it more than once. Peter, Peter comes out of the vision, and here's what happens. It's really cool. He comes out of the vision and is told about a Roman soldier named Cornelius. Cornelius is a Gentile. Up until that point, they had only preached the gospel to the Jewish people. Up until that point, they'd only preached the gospel to the Jews. Now, here comes along this Roman centurion named Cornelius. He's a Gentile. And so the early church, while it was only Jews, here's Peter, and an angel comes down and tells, tells him, and, and listen, he's directed to Cornelius by this angel, and he's directed to send for Peter. This, this guy comes and he says, Peter, an angel came and told me to come get you. An angel came to Cornelius. He told me to come get you. And listen, Peter, Peter comes to them. He preaches Jesus to them. And incredibly, they are saved. The first Gentile converts that we see here in Scripture, in, in Acts, there's a revival in the land. The Bible says not only are they saved, they're, we're told they're filled with the Spirit, they're water baptized, and it's simply incredible, right? All happening to the Gentiles through Peter. Paul, Peter then reports this to the church leaders. He explains the vision that he had to them. And then it's concluded in this way in Acts chapter, uh, chapter 11, verse 17 and 18. It says this. Peter is telling the church leaders about the Gentiles being saved. He says, if then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? Peter says, guys, listen. If they received the same gift that we got, who am I to stand in God's way? And when they had heard these things, they fell silent. The Bible says they fell silent and they glorified God, saying then to the Gentiles, also God has granted repentance that leads to life. A really good response from the early church. This same Peter who saw repentance, who saw the Holy Spirit, move upon the Gentiles. How many remember Peter preached a sermon and thousands of people got saved? Thousands of people came to the early church as a result of Peter's preaching. This is the same man 
who now sits at the table with the Gentiles, sees the Jewish leaders coming, and runs in fear. You may have questions about Peter here. Where was his courage? Where was his conviction? Where was Peter's maturity? Where were all of these things? And I like what Guzik says in his commentary here. He says it's easy to criticize Peter, but every person knows what it means to do something that you know is wrong. Every person knows what it means to do something that you know is wrong. Everyone knows what it feels like to go against what you know very well to be right. Everyone knows what it feels like when social pressure pushes you towards compromise in some way. This is the kind of behavior that dominated Peter's life before he was transformed by the power of God. This is the kind of behavior that, that Peter was known for. He cut off the soldier's ear, right? Said, I don't know the Lord Jesus. What are you talking about? Denied him three times. This is the Peter that we, we kind of are aware of, right? We know about him. This was Peter telling Jesus not to go to the cross. This is Peter taking his eyes off Jesus when he's walking on the water. This is Peter cutting the ear off the high priest. This is Peter getting angry with the soldiers. We see, this is interesting, we see that the flesh was still present in Peter. Salvation and the filling of the Holy Spirit did not make Peter perfect. How many know salvation and the filling of the Holy Spirit does not make us perfect, right? Right? Anybody perfect here? Go ahead and raise your hand. How many know it's far too often that our flesh rises up and we act in a way that doesn't line up with our faith in Christ? Our flesh rises up. Why? Because that so-and-so cut me off and now all of a sudden I want to show him the way to heaven, but I'm going to do it with one finger. Come on. Are we in a Baptist church this morning? What's going on? How many of you, anybody ever get angry driving? How many ever get angry driving in Esterville? A few people. I, it seems like on Sunday mornings, the Lord is giving me patience and giving me an opportunity to practice patience because I will inevitably get behind somebody that wants to go 20 miles an hour all the way from Hartman's Corner to church. And I think, I can just cut through the theater parking lot right now. I can cut through this way. I can go back high V and zoom it that way. And then I'm breaking a wall elsewhere, Mikey, right? <laughs> we talked about that on Wednesday. Uh, there's times where our flesh rises up. Men, how many know there's times where your flesh rises up? How many know there's times where that good-looking lady walks by and you go, oh, I'm married? Right? Oh, now we're getting too personal, right? Oh, there's times where that thing comes across the TV screen. And you go, oh, man, I know I shouldn't watch that. But boy, that looks good. Oh. I know I shouldn't go to that address on the computer. But, man, it's just so tempting. The flesh rises up. That's talking to the men. Let's talk to the women. I, I, I know I shouldn't gossip about this. Man, it feels so good to be in the know. 
I know it's none of my business. Man, I can't wait to spread it everywhere. Did you see what Susie wore to church today? There's nobody in here named Susie, so I can use this name freely. Hi, Susie. How you doing? Oh, that just worked out the way it worked out. You're dressed very nicely, by the way. Suzanne. Oh, man. Oh, goodness. I got to move on. (laughs) Oh, God is good. There's times where our flesh rises up. Women, men, people. We all have those opportunities where the flesh rises up. You might think it's just you. You might think that it couldn't possibly be that leader or that pastor. But you, let me, let me share this with you in case you weren't aware. The battle that you face is the battle that I face and the battle that Peter faced. We all have times where our flesh rises up. Right? We can't pretend to have perfection because none of us have it. We can't pretend to be high and mighty because we're all lowly when it comes down to it. Peter, or Paul says, my righteousness is as filthy rags. Right? Why? Because sometimes our flesh rises up. The big problem with Peter wasn't just that he was uh, responding to his flesh. I mean, listen, that's, that's a problem. Don't get us wrong. But Peter, come here, Peter. Peter wasn't just responding to his flesh. He was encouraging others to do the same. So now there's other guys that come with them. There's a guy named Barnabas. There's a guy, there's other Jewish Christian leaders that, oh no, no, we can't, we gotta separate ourselves from the Gentiles. We can only stay with the Jews, right? Go ahead and have a seat, Alex. I thought I was gonna use you for more than that, but I didn't, so it's okay. You see, it's troublesome when a leader does wrong. That's troublesome. How many know that's that's not good, right? It's worse when people follow his example. It's worse when people follow his example. Galatians 2, 13 and 14 says this. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. It makes it real clear. Hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, or I said to Peter, before all of them, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Peter confront, or Paul confronts Peter, and he said, boy, uh, this is getting kind of serious. Paul confronts Peter, and here's why he confronts Peter. Verse 15. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person not justified by works of the law is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ, so that we also have believed in Christ Jesus. In order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because the works of the law no one will be justified. Paul says, Peter, 
by the works of the law, nobody is justified. Remember that word justified means? We're justified by the blood of Jesus, right? What does that mean? It's just if I'd never sinned. Means we're washed in his blood. Amen? How many are so glad to be justified by the blood of Jesus? Paul says, man, we are only made righteous by Jesus. We are only saved by Jesus. It is not by works. So it's this powerful example of Paul speaking truth to power. Really, this powerful example. He doesn't mince words. He doesn't pull punches. This wasn't a personal offense to Paul. It was a spiritual offense to the entire body of Christ. This isn't just a personal thing. This is a spiritual thing. Peter was leading himself and others in a hypocritical way and denying the justification we have in Christ alone. Paul confronts him publicly and courageously, and in doing so, he brings correction to the body. He's doing this in an open place. Truly, Jews on one side, Gentiles on the other. And he's speaking to the Jews specifically, what does it mean to be saved by grace through faith? What does that mean? Verse 17 says this, But if if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. You say, Pastor David, what does that mean? We're going to get into it. For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live to God. Verse 20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Somebody say amen. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. If righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. At one point, they talk about Christ being a servant of sin. Other, other translations would say a minister of sin. What does that mean? It means what they're saying is, does Christ promote sin? Does Christ lead us to, into sin? Paul says, certainly not. Think about it this way. Paul is speaking specifically to the Jews that have problems with the Gentiles. The Gentiles aren't subject to the law. They don't follow the dietary rules. rules. They aren't being circumcised. Right? We've, We've talked about all this. This is the things they aren't doing. Paul says, listen to me. Christ is not leading them into sin. They are saved through Jesus alone. A good friend of mine wrote a book called Jesus Plus Nothing Equals Salvation. Jesus Plus Nothing equal salvation. Well, Pastor David, I don't understand. You're saying I don't have to be good? I don't have to give to charity? I don't have to give to the poor? I don't have to do any of these things? I can just accept Jesus? Yeah. That's exactly what I'm saying. And what will happen is when you invite Jesus into your life, he will change you, and out of that change now flows those good things. 
now flows that maturity now flows that wisdom now flows that generosity now flows that giving now flows that grace because it was the same grace that was shown to you I have a friend uh, for the sake of YouTube uh, I have an acquaintance I wouldn't really call him a friend. I call him an acquaintance. We knew each other in college. He runs a ministry. He's written a few books, I want to say, and he's written many, many articles about why, as Christians, we are still subject to the law. I mean, really, basically says, if you don't follow the law, you're not a true believer. He is what we call a modern-day Judaizer pronounce it differently. I say Judaizer. Let me assure you there is no amount of good you can do to earn salvation. There is no amount of good you can do to be righteous. There's no amount of law keeping you can do to be made righteous. We are only made righteous through the blood of Jesus. We are only made righteous through the blood of Jesus. And you say, well, what about, I mean, now that they become Christians and, and, and now they're still doing this junk, and they're still doing these things, they're still messing up, they're still, yeah, the flesh rises up at times. And as we mature in our faith, the flesh will go down. As we read our word and get in prayer and we spend time with the Lord, our flesh will go down. But even the greatest spiritual leaders of our time, even in the early church, even Peter had his flesh rise up at times. We're not going to get into this right now, but Paul says he had a thorn in the flesh. We don't know exactly what that means, but it says it was used to humble him. Right? It was used to, to bring him down. We don't know what it was. But he had a thorn in the flesh. It means at times his flesh rose up. Just in our lives, at times our flesh rises up. Paul says, listen to me. Christ is not leading them into sin. They are saved by Jesus alone. It is, I have been crucified with Christ. Another way of saying it is this. It's not about me. It's all about him. Amen? Being crucified with Christ, I, I I am dead before him it's all about him it's not about me me eating with gentiles does not take away or nullify the grace of god me eating their food does not make me unclean me living in their freedoms does not take away my salvation if righteousness is through the law then christ died for nothing paul makes this incredibly bold statement but clearly speaks to peter he confronts peter clearly It's interesting when you talk about church conflict. We have the example in Matthew 18 of dealing with conflict in the church. If you're familiar with Matthew 18, you know what I'm talking about. Jesus tells us to approach people first privately, right? Then with witnesses, then to the church. So if I have a problem with Doreen, I'm going to first go to Doreen. That's the appropriate way to do it, right, Steve? If I have an issue with Doreen, I go to Doreen. I don't go to Zach. Hey, Zach, let me tell you what Doreen did. Really made me upset. 
I don't go to Joan. Or Joan. I don't go to Johnny. I go to Doreen. Now, if I go to Doreen and confront Doreen, and Doreen says, whatever, leave me alone, pouncing on whatever, then I might bring two or three witnesses with me, elders in the church, maybe leaders in the church. Say, hey, let me, let me, let me talk about this stuff. She looks at all three of us and says, I don't know who you jokers think you are. Leave me alone. Biblically, Matthew 18 says, then you bring it before the church. Then we have a meeting with the church family. And we say, hey, guys, uh, just so you know, there's an issue with Doreen. Now, of course, that would never happen, right, Doreen? Of course not, never. But there's a certain way in Matthew 18 that we see, how do we, do we, how do we deal with conflict in the church? Paul is not using this way of dealing with conflict. Paul is not using Matthew 18 to deal with conflict, right? It's an interesting thing. Earlier in Galatians 2, Paul dealt with some conflict among the leaders about the grace and, and consideration about the circumcision. And here, what we saw was he approached them kind of, you know, it was in the midst of other ministers. It wasn't out publicly. It was a church matter. It was a, just a thing, right? We see an example of conflict resolution here. Galatians. Paul confronting Peter. It is public. It is potentially explosive. And it is absolutely necessary. It is absolutely necessary. Paul was seeing the enemy at work through Peter. And he knew, he knew that the bigotry of the Jews, if, if, if Peter, if Peter used the bigotry of the Jews to bring early division in the body between those who followed the law versus those who didn't, in seeing this clearly, he calls it out publicly. He calls it out publicly. And there's times where we need to call things out publicly. How many know there are times in our Christian life where we deal with things privately, and then there's times we have to deal with things publicly. When there is sin in the land and rampant, when there is confusion over what's sin and what's not, when there is confusion over what's right and what's wrong, it is time for the church to stand up and speak loudly to those issues. You say, Pastor David, I mean... That's your job, right? You're the pastor. I'm, I'm not the pastor. You're a believer in Jesus, right? You're a believer in the gospel. You believe the Bible to be true, right? And so in your relationships, in your circle of influence, at your work, with your friends, I'm not saying all the time, but you have an opportunity to say, hey, no, there's some, there, we need to talk about truth. We need to talk about what's right and what's wrong. Paul calls out Peter publicly. It had to be awkward. I can't imagine it wasn't awkward. He's approaching this leader in the church, preaches a message and 3,000 people get saved, 5,000 people get saved, right? I mean, Peter, walk on water, Peter. Paul goes to him and says, man, we got some things to talk about publicly. And I imagine that even though it had to be super awkward, 
it's incredible that we see it worked out for the good. I like what Guzik had to say about the events in his commentary. I want to share them with you. This is really awesome. I love this. It was good for Paul because he stayed true and proclaimed the gospel. It was good for Peter because he was corrected and as a result became even more convinced in the truth than ever before. It was good for Barnabas because he came to a correct belief on this manner. It was good for the men who came from James and started the whole mess because a line was drawn as to the true gospel and now they had to decide. It was good for the Jewish believers in Antioch because they had the truth spelled out clearly for them. It was good for the Gentile believers in Antioch because their faith and liberty in Jesus was strengthened. It was good for us because truth still lives today. Amen. All this good came, but only because Peter was willing to do so. All because Paul, excuse me, was willing to do something that was totally right, but extremely uncomfortable. Totally right, but extremely uncomfortable. Peter was willing to do that too. Because at some point, Peter has to admit, I was wrong. Right? We don't see it so much in Scripture here, but, but you can acknowledge, yeah, Peter, Peter would have said, you're right, man. Maybe it took some time. Maybe it took a minute for him to step back, because how many know sometimes it gives, takes us a minute? We let the Holy Spirit work on us for a little bit. And we come back and say, man, you're right. I had a really, and I've talked about this with a few people, but I had a really interesting uh, conflict less in the last couple weeks where I had to confront a minister about some sin, where I had to confront a minister about some sin. And, and I did so, I, I tried to do it graciously, I tried to do it with consideration, but it was among other ministers. And I just had to confront what was happening. Because it wasn't just a personal thing, it was a spiritual thing. And he took it, and he heard it, and he came back and he said, thank you. I mean, it really showed maturity on his part, and just, he said, thank you, I, I, I was wrong. I'm glad there was correction brought. I'm glad you had, I'm glad that you were able to find the courage to, to bring that correction, because it couldn't have been easy. And it wasn't, it was a very awkward thing. There are times in our life where truth is awkward. Truth can be uncomfortable. Spiritual truth can be uncomfortable. How many know it's vital? There's an old little children's song that says, Hide it under a bushel, no. I'm going to let it shine. Hide it under a bushel. I'm going to let it shine. Hide it under a bushel. No. I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. This little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine. Paul was willing to shine the light of truth. Even towards Peter. What a tremendous lesson for us. What a tremendous example for us. Are you willing to shine the light of Christ into the dark places in your life? Are you willing to shine the light of truth 
you to the dark places that you were with your friends. We have an example here in Paul. Let's stand this pray together. Lord, we are so thankful. We are so glad. We are joyous that we are only made righteous through Jesus. Lord, I am so glad it's not dependent on my works because surely I would fail. Lord, I'm so glad that it's only by your blood that we are justified, that we are made righteous. Lord, I pray over those who are here this morning. I pray that as they have listened to this word, as they have heard this word, that they would find freedom in it. They would find courage in it. They would find conviction in it. Holy Spirit, speak to us. Let our flesh not rise up, but let us respond to your presence. Lord, for for those things in our life that need to be put down, that flesh that rises up, Lord, I pray that you... Give us strength. Give us courage. Give us faith. Let us experience your grace and pass that grace on to others. Lord, I pray over those who are here this morning. Lord, I pray that you would bless them. I pray that you would keep them. Lord, I pray that you would cause your face to shine down upon them. And Lord, that you would give them rest. In Jesus' name, amen.